You're listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Cartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by our affiliate partnership with Fairhaven Health. Fairhaven Health provides science-based products for your journey to parenthood from fertility through pregnancy, breastfeeding, and beyond. They've been an industry leader in providing products for trying to conceive couples, including fertility supplements for women and men, ovulation predictor tools, fertility-friendly lubricants, and so much more. I've personally used Fairhaven Health products since late 2017 and all throughout my pregnancy and postpartum period with my double rainbow. They were a must-have. My love for this company is why I proudly partner with them whenever I get the chance. To learn more about Fairhaven Health and to support our show, visit themiscarriagedoula.co slash fairhavenhealth, and you'll also find a promo code for 15% off there. Again, um, I just really appreciate the opportunity. I, I really especially felt moved to um, share this story. I did find a lot of healing from the podcast, and I thought maybe that's something I would do, but um, I almost felt like this kind of for my story, oddly enough. And then um, what really particularly moved me to say something was um, Shelly's post about her decision to kind of even step away from the podcast, um, feeling like she's in a different spot in her life where, or in comparison to many of the women that, that share stories right now. And that really hit home with me because I feel like I had always been in that kind of place. So um, while the details of my loss and my angel baby are not that uncommon, some of the circumstances around it um, definitely made the grieving process quite different. Um, so that's what I, I really want to share the most about. Um, but I guess for the story itself, I'll share, I'll start where most women start. Um, my husband and I have now been married for 12 years. Um, we're actually a little bit older than probably most of the women that share stories on the podcast. Um, also a little bit different about us is we already have two beautiful children. I have an eight-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter. Um, and we always knew we wanted a family. Um, we didn't have that much of a difficult time with our first two. My first two pregnancies were pretty smooth. Um, took us maybe six to eight months to conceive our son, but then our daughter came quicker than we thought. Um, and pretty smooth pregnancies, pretty smooth births, um, great kids. You know, we're blessed um, for our family. And um, what's interesting is my husband and I had always had this conversation about how many children we would have. And <laughs> that changes a lot as you become a parent because my recovery with my first child was really rough. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm never doing this again. But then of course, you know, you forget that. Um, and then when we were pregnant with our daughter, um, I still thought that we would maybe have three children because that's the number that we talked about when we, you know, were first married and things like that. Um, but he kind of changed his mind a little bit and said two. And I was like, all right, well, we'll see where this goes. But I tried to still savor um, my pregnancy with my daughter as my last one. Um, but anyway, fast forward a few years and... Um, 
slowly, I think we both came to terms that two was our number. Um, we didn't really do anything to prevent, but we didn't try. Um, and I think I finally came to a place of peace, just knowing that our, our family was perfect with, with just our two children. And um, I actually started giving away, because I'd kept it, I started giving away all of my baby things. I had literally kept everything in preparation for that maybe third child um, and started giving it away finally. And I really felt at peace with that. Um, and giving all that stuff away maybe took six months and culminated almost exactly a year ago because um, I work in a school and this is spring break. And so spring break was and everything changed for us last year. Um, but I spent a lot of my spring break getting rid of the last few things. I still had the crib and I still had a couple of clothes that my friends didn't want and things like that. And I spent spring break getting rid of it and it was gone. It was completely gone. Um, and we were having some remodeling done in the house and, and just doing a lot of changes and things like that. Um, and I was late and I was like, this is unusual. Um, because, uh, you know, and ever since children, my cycles have always fluctuated a tiny bit. Um, but even this was on the outside scale of, of that fluctuation. And so I had some old tests, really old, because my daughter is six. Um, and I was absolutely shocked that it was positive. I about fell on the floor and almost had a panic attack. And I thought, my husband is going to be so upset. I, I really thought that he would be upset, um, which is, it's, it's strange. Um, but he was, he was shocked, but he was, he was excited. Um, and it was a really exciting time. And we just thought, oh my goodness, we just got rid of all of the things. What are we going to do? Um, and, but as the first few weeks of the pregnancy settled in, we, we got very comfortable with things. Um, you know, I went to my first eight week checkup and we saw a beautiful heartbeat thrilled. And we really started to just settle into the idea of a family of three. Um, and we decided, you know what, we're, we're going to kind of break some rules this time. Um, we did start telling our friends earlier and family earlier um, because we were like thinking, I'm going to need some help with, you know, my mother-in-law eyeing the garage sales and, and getting all of the things back kind of <laughs> that we um, had given away. Um, and we were also a third pregnancy and I'm a little bit older. I was 35 at the time. I'm 36 now. Um, so we just wanted some more resources and support. So we, we, we decided to tell people about the pregnancy um, and we just didn't care about the rules. Um, I was also very determined to have a different pregnancy than with my other two. Um, in between my second child and now, you know, I was on kind of my own health journey and I was like, you know what, I'm going to be one of those fit moms that like runs and does all those things. Um, and I kind of did a little bit, except I was extremely nauseous. Um, and that was challenging. Um, but the interesting thing about all that nausea was I was probably one of the few people in the world that was thankful that the world was kind of shutting down because I had the opportunity to sort of suffer in private from the comfort of my couch and just not have to, um, feel like I was hiding anything. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so that was, that was unique and it was, it was kind of comforting. Um, 
but you know, we did our best to to settle in and and get ready for a family of of, of five. You know, to have three kids. Um, we told our kids, and our kids were so excited. My daughter just she loves babies. Every time we're out somewhere, um, she's like, "Look, mom, there's a baby," and I just thought she would be the greatest big sister. Um, so it was it was just cool to be thinking about our future together as a family. Um, and where that was going to go. Um, and like with this pregnancy, you know, as with my other two, I had some pretty bad, um, pretty bad nausea and morning sickness that just lasted all day. Um, that kind of kept me grounded for most of the time. And then what was really odd was somewhere around 10 and a half weeks, um, the nausea started to get a little bit better. And I thought, I wonder if it's, my body finally getting used to carrying babies and um, maybe it's not even really a thing. And the thought about something being wrong with the baby had crossed my mind, but I kind of quickly dismissed it because I just, I didn't want to stay in a negative place. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, sorry, one second. Um, I didn't want to stay in that negative place. So, um, I just tried to stay as positive as I could. Um, so at my eight week checkup with the OB, you know, because of my advanced maternal age, um, they were asking about other tests and things like that. And with the other pregnancies, I was like, I don't, I'm not even worried about it um, because my insurance wouldn't cover them. But now that I was 35, um, they were going to cover them. So I decided, um, you know, I had done my research and I had done my calls with the insurance company to, to make sure that they were going to cover it. Cause if they were going to cover it, I was going to do it. Um, and I go to my 12 week appointment again, alone because of, of COVID. I'd gone to the eight week one by myself um, and I was going to the 12 week one by myself as well. Um, and I was preparing to um, talk to the nurse practitioner about all the, the tests that we would do and things like that. And my OB's office, um, I love them. They're fantastic. They always start with the ultrasound first. And I think this is why. And um, it was a new tech um, because the previous tech that I had known for years with my other pregnancies had retired. So there was this new tech that was there and I didn't know her very well. And um, they even, I was making comments to her about how they had redone the room since the last time I had been in there um, with um, the bigger screen and they had just rearranged everything. And, and so we're making our small talk. And I remember looking at the the big screen where I could see the ultrasound and remember thinking it looked different. It looked funny, like it looked fuzzier than usual. And I wonder now if that meant anything. Um, and it seemed like she was only looking for 30 seconds, but it must have been five minutes. I must have just been enjoying myself. I don't know. Um, but then just as quickly as I ever could have imagined, she just turns to me and she says, and I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. And I was like, what? I it just, it was out of nowhere for me. Um, and I was, I was in shock. I, I had almost like an out of body experience thinking, am, am I actually having a miscarriage right now? Did I, did I just lose this baby? Did she tell me what I think she just said? This, this can't be happening. It, this, 
this can't be happening. Um, it was very, very surreal. And she said, I'm so, so sorry. And then the doctor comes in and, and she says, I'm so, so sorry. And then they, they take me to another room and, um, my doctor's office is great. They, they turned on like, I think a sound machine just full of white noise, um, just to make sure I couldn't hear anything else. Um, and then the doctor came in and was very sweet and apologetic. And I'd started crying at that point. Um, and she offers me tissues and, you know, she goes over the options that everybody knows. Um, and she said, but I, you know, I guess for me, growth had maybe stopped around 10 week and 10 weeks and six days. And I was supposed to be 12 weeks at that point. Um, which also weirded me out because to think that I maybe had suspected that the loss had happened and, um, missed it, you know, um, but I actually wasn't aware of it. Um, but she said that since it appeared that the baby had passed away over a week ago and I hadn't processed that my body hadn't done it on its own, that my body would, would need some help. And then, so basically she said, my choices were the pill or a DNC. Um, and she said she wasn't really a fan of the pill for someone that was as far along as I was, because she said it can just get, um, a little bit more uncomfortable. Um, she said she wasn't a fan of how much bleeding could happen at home. So she, she pushed for the DNC and I think I was fine with that too. Unfortunately, it was a Friday afternoon. Um, so I, we scheduled it for the first thing Monday morning at that point. And this was Friday afternoon. It was the, it was, oddly enough, it was supposed to be the last day of school. Um, it was May 29th. Um, and so we scheduled my DNC for June 1st, um, which was the next Monday. And, um, the waiting was excruciating, you know, just walking around that whole weekend feeling, just knowing that I was carrying my dead baby inside me. It, it, it was hard, especially cause we still had to function and do things. Um, we, we told our kids and, um, they were the first people that we told and my son cried and that really touched me. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. Um, but to know that it meant something to them as well. Um, and then we told our immediate family in a text because that's all I could bear, um, you know, and let them know that I was going to have surgery on Monday. And um, we told some of our church friends because they had known and we were kind of asking for prayer around the surgery and things like that. Um, excuse me. Um, and so I go in for the surgery that Monday. And this is where I think my experience with the DNC differs a lot than what most women experience. Um, we have a really amazing women's hospital in my area. The, the heartbreaking part about it was it was the hospital where I was born and it was the hospital where I had delivered my own children. Um, so to go there masked and alone during COVID because my husband wasn't allowed to come, um, and to go to that hospital knowing that I wasn't going to leave with a baby this time was unbearable. Um, you know, and of course I had to go in for pre-op a couple days before, like that Friday I went in and you have to have a COVID test, um, you know, and, and it seems like nobody knows why you're there or anything like that. But when I went in on Monday for the surgery, um, everyone was very, very sensitive to it. Um, I could not have asked for a better experience 
especially because it was obviously so horrible to have to go through a DNC. Um, but literally everyone from once I got past intake and things like that, um, once I got, you know, into my gown, literally everyone was sensitive to why I was there and the circumstances. It seemed like, you know, the, the pre-op nurse, the anesthesiologist, um, the nurses that they came to introduce themselves that would be with me during the surgery later on. Everybody knew that I was there to say goodbye to my baby and everybody knew that I had to do it alone. And everybody wiped my tears and held my hand. It was, I mean, for as horrible of an experience as it was, I couldn't have asked for better circumstances around it. Um, and in the state of Florida, um, you don't have to make funeral arrangements unless you're 20 weeks or older. I think that's most states anyway. Um, and so I just, I think I felt even more lost just knowing that there's just, there's nothing, you know, they, they take your baby, they take whatever it is. And then you just go home empty handed and there's, there's nothing to do. You know, there's no there's no opportunity to honor the memory of who that person was going to be someday. Um, and I, I remembered really struggling with finding a way to um, still carry that baby with me in some way. Um, I mostly settled on jewelry. Like I have this necklace that has my kids initials and then it just has like a heart for the baby. Um, and my daughter knows about it and loves it. And she says one for me, one for him and one for the baby. And, um, and stuff like that helped me a lot, but finding it and just feeling like what was going to be the right thing, um, was really a struggle. I, I felt like I wanted to buy a lot of things. Um, I wanted to buy all of the ornaments. I wanted to buy all of the, the candles or whatever, just because I wanted something to hold on to. Cause I, I didn't have a baby to hold on to, you know, um, and I'm so thankful that there are, you know, companies out there that, that can um, honor losses like that, you know, just um, it helped my grief have a place to go, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, sorry. So beyond that, um, life got really, really difficult after, um, I was, as I said, I work in a school and all that time, even through the nausea and, and everything like that, I had been working from home like most people had um, a year ago. Um, but my position is a little bit unique at a school. So I actually work in the summer. Um, so when school doesn't, when school gets out, I'm, I, you know, I still go to campus. Um, and a few days after the DNC, I had gotten a call from my principal saying that I was expected to start going back to campus that, that next week. Um, and I was not ready. I was just not ready. So um, thankfully, there weren't a lot of people that, that work in the summer. So it wasn't like a ton of people. But nobody at work knew about the loss or the baby. Um, and so I went back in that day and kind of shut my door and just cried in between returning emails and things like that. And um, everybody knew something was up, but they didn't know what, and they just wanted to give me my space, which was nice. Um, but my boss, excuse me, sorry. Um, my boss had come in at one point in the morning and, um, you know, was like, listen, I, 
I, I need to talk to you. And first of all, she starts off with what's wrong. And then, so I broke down and told her and just was a hot mess. Um, and then she was, she was apologetic and she felt bad, but then she said, listen, um, and I'll spare the details, but long story short, she was going to have a meeting with the superintendent that day, that afternoon. And, and, um, we found out later that evening that she was leaving. Um, she was getting moved to a different school, technically a promotion for her. Um, but it was extremely scary for me because, um, she and I kind of oversee an individual program at my school and with her gone, it would have meant that I had to do it by myself all in under the layer of COVID. Um, and then I just all of a sudden was extremely overwhelmed with work and, um, I'll fast forward through that, but work was, um, and kind of even still is, it, it was the worst school year I've ever had. Um, and I think most teachers, most educators would say kind of the same. It was just a lot of change all at once. Um, and we're still kind of slowly recovering from that. Um, but what made all of that even more challenging was um, four or five months before the loss and things like that, um, I had come to a point where I'd realized I was suffering from depression and was in counseling and, and things like that too. So um, it was like the guise of the depression and the anxiety plus the work changes plus the miscarriage, I felt like I just got kicked while I was down, you know, and it just felt impossible to climb back up. Um, thankfully, I did have a counselor that I was working with. And, um, you know, now that I wasn't pregnant anymore, we decided that medication was the option for me to do. Um, so that was kind of a, a good step in the right direction. Um, but as far as the loss goes, um, you know, we definitely still think about it from time to time. Um, and to talk about, like to shift a little bit, the, um, the podcast title, Life After Miscarriage, um, is so interesting to think about because of all of the plans that you were going to make that now change. Um, you know, for example, because and it just happened to be that we were in the market to buy me a new car. Um, so then I go to work and I'm telling all my friends, oh yeah, we're, we're buying a new car. And, um, oh, what kind of car are you going to get? And then I, I start to go, well, we were going to buy this one because I needed three car seats, but now we don't need three car seats. So now we're just going to buy this. And it was just like diary of the mouth. I couldn't not say it, you know? Right. Um, and, and so it just ended up being like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and then with the pregnancy, like I said, I'd had a lot of nausea and I, I lost a lot of weight as a result. And, um, normally I gain it back in my pregnancies, but I hadn't yet. Um, and everyone's like, Oh my gosh, you've, you've lost weight. How did you do it? What were you doing? And I'm like, um, well, you know, and it's, it's just things you, you don't want to talk about all those other effects of it. Um, and even, a couple of weeks ago, it just was time for me to go have my annual pap smear from the gynecologist. And they're so sweet. I love that office. I've going, gone there for years. Um, but you have to relive everything. You have to relive all of the questions. Um, and it's, it's just forever even a part of you. How many pregnancies have you had? How many children do you have? Um, it's just 
it's forever a part of your medical history. How many surgeries have you had? Um, it's just always there. And then every time you go to the doctor and they want to confirm everything, you just right. relive it all over again. And that's something I didn't expect. Yeah. Um, but what made, you know, I think the grieving process even more challenging for me is like I, like I said earlier, just feeling like I didn't fit anywhere. Um, I felt guilty grieving the loss when I have two children already. Um, I felt guilty grieving the loss when we weren't really trying for a third baby. Um, cause I, I felt like all of these women that are, are so desperate for a family. And I, I really wish in my deepest heart that it was that simple, that every woman who wanted to become a mother could just become one. I really wish that was the only qualification. We'd solve a lot of problems. Um, but I felt guilty grieving this child when it wasn't something in our original plan. I felt like there wasn't a place for my grief um, because I also wasn't struggling with infertility or what I could call infertility. Um, you know, and I also wasn't struggling to expand our family. I wasn't struggling to just be a mother in the first place. And it just felt like there's no room for me here. Um, and I think that's what made it especially lonely um, for me. So that's why I'm, I'm thankful that, I mean, I, I did talk about it more and a lot of people did know. Um, and I think... I think kind of even now my new mission is to talk to people about talking about it more, um, especially with friends of mine that maybe become newly pregnant for the first time. And they're like, Oh, well, we're not going to say anything for 12 weeks. I'm like, okay, you know, that's your choice. But just so you know, if you don't say anything for 12 weeks, then you're, you have less people to talk to if anything does happen. And I hope nothing happens. And I hope your pregnancy is beautiful and perfect. And, and I would never wish that on anyone. But at the same time, I'm really rethinking this whole, like, let's not tell anyone we're pregnant for 12 weeks. Um, yeah. Because all it does is make you alone in, in the loss. And um, I, I definitely won't deny it was really hard to untell all of those people that we told. Um, it was hard, but I don't regret it. I don't regret the choice that we made to include people in that um, because it ended up creating an environment for me to experience my grief safely. Um, and two great examples of that, um, the same example two times actually, oddly enough, two of my coworkers, including my new boss, um, are both pregnant with twins. And wow. Yes. They literally <laughs> work four offices down. One of, one of the assistant principals and the social worker, they're both pregnant with twins. One was IVF and one was completely natural. Um, and so because they had both known about my loss, um, they both worked very carefully to choose a time to shut my office door and come in and say, I need to talk to you, you know, and I want to tell you alone and, and, you know, kind of waited till I was maybe having a good day. Um, and it seems so petty. I don't know. But to me, that was such a kind thing for both of them to do, to 
know that I had to know and they wanted they wanted to even tell me before they told other people in the office so they knew that I would hear it from them and they knew I wasn't going to hear it from someone else um but to be treated with that kind of love and respect um really meant a lot to me and it still means a lot to me and um that is why I think I'm I'm just a huge advocate for including people in your, in your loss. Like even some people say, why would you share your children, share that with your children? But at the same time, um, it's helped me heal because I don't have to be sad alone. You know, if I watch something a little bit sad and, and it makes me think of our baby and I'm crying and my daughter's like, mommy, what's wrong? You know, I say, I miss the baby. And she goes, oh, and then she'll give me a hug, you know? Um, so Again, I, like I said, I really appreciate the opportunity to share just because um, miscarriage, even as common as it is, still just does this awful thing to us where we feel like we're the only ones experiencing what we're experiencing. Um, And that's why I think the podcast is so great because all you want to know is, well, even who else had similar details as me? I remember listening to the podcast going, okay, well that one also lost it at 12 weeks like I did, or that one also had a DNC like I did, or that one also had other children like I did and things like that. And, um, and, you know, just always having more opportunities to, um, know that you weren't the only one that experienced this trauma. Right. You know, well, that's always the goal. And, you know, I think that women are, they, I think the feeling of not fitting in whenever you have children, especially older children, which is, you know, something else that's really interesting. And I would love if you have any tips for anybody when telling their older children about a loss, because I imagine that that's really difficult. And I, um, I haven't had that many women share that with me, but I think it's because they don't know where they fit in, like you're explaining. Mm-hmm. because it's hard you feel guilty because you have living children but somebody said to me that miscarriage does not discriminate you know what your family looks like and that's such a great point to where you could have five children that are all teenagers and still experience loss and that's the loss of a child that's a loss of a child that's you know that's grief and just because death is common doesn't erase how painful it is Absolutely. Um, well, and I think to, you know, as a comparison, um, I have a sweet friend, she moved, she used to live just right around the corner from me, but, um, she currently has seven children and she is also currently pregnant. Um, but they had a loss at five months and she also has had probably three miscarriages, including, one recently right before this current pregnancy that she has. Um, and she talks about it with such ease that I'm like, well, gosh, should I, should I be blowing this off because I have other children? Um, because they definitely talk about the, the baby that they lost at five months. They still honor her a lot. Um, you know, and, and, and that's the other funny thing is, is, loss is still a loss. You know, we get to this, this stage where, oh, well, her miscarriage wasn't as bad as mine because I was further along. And, th- and we, we, we get into the pain Olympics like we do with infertility, you know, and it's just so unfair. Um, and then even um, 
I think what I've been more sensitive to, and, and, and again, knowing that I haven't experienced this at all, is just seeing even women on Instagram that have had failed IVF cycles. Like, that's still a loss. Yeah, I think the same thing. And I always try to tell people that a loss is a loss is a loss. And we can't compare trauma. We can't compare pain. We can't compare grief because this is your story. This is your family. And this is your loss to experience. And so it's it's as sad as no matter when you would have lost the baby. And so I think that's where a lot of grief becomes confusing because we feel such big grief for a child we never got to hold. And that's confusing. Mm-hmm. But it's it's more than just grieving the actual child. It's grieving all of the things you didn't get to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's what's always hard is, is you have a plan and then your plans change. Um, and even with IVF, like, again, that wasn't our story, but then you, you feel like you're going to have a plan and then the plan doesn't work out. It's still just, it's still a huge immense amount of disappointment. Um, but yeah. to go back to what you were saying earlier, as far as tips for ch- telling older children, um, I think we drew a lot of inspiration, if you will, on um, how we would have told our children about just other family members passing away. Um, we're Christians, we're believers, so we talk a lot about heaven and we talk about um, about God and, and things like that in our family. And so, um, that's kind of the route that we went, you know, we just, we told our children, you know, you, you remember, you remember how mommy had this baby in her tummy and things like that. Well, the baby died and the baby is now with Jesus, but the baby's body is still in mommy's tummy. So mommy has to have surgery to, to get it out, but the surgery is going to be okay. They're going to put, you know, and, and all those things that we, I mean, um, and I don't think my daughter got it right away. She's like, so you're not having a baby. Um, but I think my son understood. Um, like I said, he was a little older. He was seven at the time. He's eight now. Um, and I think he understood at least what death really was. Um, yeah. And so, um, and like I said, I'm still thankful that we chose to, to share that with them because again, I think the worst thing is having to hide your grief or be silent in your grief. But um, we process it a lot better when we can be open about it and we can honor um, the memory of, of the person that we lost, whether they were technically born into the world or whether they weren't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I would do the same thing. Um, my son is my double rainbow. And as he gets older, I hope to continue to talk about the two babies that we lost before him. And so that's kind of backwards. Um, but my mom had a miscarriage between me and my brother and we always talked about that baby growing up. So it was something that made me very aware of death at all ages. And I actually think that made me more empathetic, you know, growing up, there's a lot of positives to it. I totally agree. I totally agree. I even agree, you know, where you say your son isn't old enough now to, to really understand that. But, um, to the, the, even just the thought that that would make him more empathetic, later on. And, and if heaven forbid he and his chosen spouse one day experience loss, he's going to understand and be able to comfort her through exactly. that. You know, it's, it's just like it, with all things, we have to break the stigma. We have to talk about it. We have to, to show that it's normal. It's, it's, it's part of our human experience and um, that yeah. suffering in silence is never, never the answer. 
Yeah. Well, and I always, um, I always share a story with people whenever I get on the topic of my sibling in heaven, but um, my teacher, when I was in kindergarten, was pregnant. So I was only five years old. And I remember my mom having to give me a lesson um, because I told this pregnant teacher about my sibling in heaven. And so I remember very vividly my mom giving me a lesson of you don't tell pregnant women about loss. And so that also made me very aware, oh, that woman has a pregnant, you know, a baby in their belly. I don't tell them about my sibling in heaven right now, but later I can. And so I always found that to be really um, an interesting lesson that I learned at five years old. That's a good point, you know, and I feel like even, um, even in my situation, I struggled with that too. Like I said, the two coworkers that were pregnant and it was like, okay, be happy for them. Don't talk about my baby right now. You know, um, you, you kind of put those, those barriers on, um, because we don't want to tromp anyone's joy either, you know? Well, and I think as an adult talking about it, you know, we can be mindful as, as children. It's like, well, my mommy had a baby and it died and now it's in heaven. And so <laughs> as a child, we kind of have to learn because we don't really have a filter on our language. Right. <laughs> because I mean, I've just, she explained it to me in like a very blunt way of that, you know, I had a brother or sister that died. And so that's how I would say it because it's kind of like if you teach your child their phone number, they recite it, you know, and you're reciting the information that you're told. Um, so that also made me very empathetic and aware of, pregnant women and not talking about loss because I couldn't filter, you know, I couldn't be aware of the best way to do it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I really, I'm, I'm very forward telling children about loss. And if, you know, I knocking on wood and I don't want to mess up the podcast audio, but um, I hope that we don't experience more loss, but if we did, we would definitely do it the same way that you did. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think, um, you know, every story is unique. Even if you find 1,500 stories that sound like yours, it's still your story and it's worth being told. And I'm so grateful that you shared your family with us and shared many words of wisdom. It's going to help so many people. I hope so. I, you know, and like I said, I just hope that, um, I, I hope to just reemphasize the idea that, that, you're not alone, you know, even when we do, like I said, feel alone in our details or feel alone in our right. circumstances or feel alone in feeling like our loss isn't worth it. It is, and, and you're not alone. Mm -hmm.